All right. Let's start. I just found out this morning in class, so this is our last class. I thought I had this week and next week, so we're going to do Luke and Acts. This week we're going to do Luke. I'm going to leave you hanging with the cliffhanger for elders speak or teaching in January. Is that correct? I, I, I have no comment. You have no comment. Right. <laughs> yes. That's right. We, we haven't been told. Though. We haven't been told that, yes. Uh, well, they told me not to program anything until February, so I'm t somebody's teaching in January. I'm sure they know much more than I Somebody's teaching in January. It's not us. All right. Uh, so we're talking about Luke today, uh, which is perfect because Luke is, Luke is the, the book in which we get the entire Jesus story. Uh, all right, let's talk. Reminder of the Gospels. Four major Gospels. Mark is the original, uh, written about 55. Uh, Jesus calls all to discipleship. Mark is really, if you think about it, it's the Gospel of Peter. Uh, because John Mark was not around. Uh, and a lot of the early church fathers will say, Mark talked to Peter and talked about the Gospel of Peter. Matthew is a couple years later. Jesus is the new Moses. Matthew is aimed directly at the Jewish Christians and the Jewish non-Christians. It's far and away the most Jewish of the books. Luke is what we're talking about today. 60 to 62 AD, Jesus came to save the lost. Everybody. It's a universal gospel. And then John shows up 20, 25 years from now. Uh, Jesus is the Son of God. John is far and away the last gospel written and it's complete. The first three Gospels are called synoptic because they they talk about Jesus the same way, the same view. John is completely different, and Randall's teaching John, so we're in good shape. All right, let's talk about New Testament chronology. Uh, all these books occur in the culture, and there are things going on that influence why these books are written and who they're written to and where they're written from. Uh, you know, we've, we've done the four prison epistles the last week. So Paul sitting in prison here in Rome. Uh, Felix and Festus are the guys in charge of Palestine. Uh, Nero is emperor. I, I didn't realize this. How old was Nero when he became emperor? Take a guess. Four. What? Four. Was he the child? A little bit older, but not much. Okay. He, he was the child emperor. Yeah. He was 18 when he became unrestricted emperor of Rome. Think about yourself at 18 when you are now put in charge of everything on earth with unrestricted power. That's Nero. Uh, he probably became emperor because his grand, his adopted grandfather. Remember, the, the emperors adopted their heir. <coughs> Claudius adopts Nero. Claudius is super popular. Everyone likes Claudius. He's kind of like your grandfather. Everyone liked him. He was a good emperor. The troops liked him. The people liked him. He was fair. He has a heart attack and or was poisoned by Nero's mother. It's not 100% sure. He dies suddenly. Nero becomes emperor at 18. Like I said, he does not make good choices. How many 18-year-olds make good choices in life? Not many. Now, give yourself unlimited power. Nero does not do well. He makes really bad choices. He wants to 
He wants to make sure that he's emperor forever. He, of course, declares himself a god, like all the emperors do, so everyone has to worship him. He wants to get rid of the Senate. That's bad, because the senators have all the money. And so he sets up this fine him in the Senate. We all remember uh, Nero for the fire of Rome, right? Rome burns down, and everyone talks about Nero fiddling while Rome burns. That story comes from the senators. They want to post Nero as a bad guy, because they want to get rid of Nero. Uh, uh, it's also possible because Nero, at the time Rome burned, was probably 26. Again, not making great decisions. Absolute power at 18 to 30. Nero dies when he's 30. Well, not. Was died. He was died, yes. <laughs> it's unclear whether he committed suicide by poison or the Praetorian Guard decided that they needed a new emperor. That happened a lot, and he became suddenly a foot shorter. It's not 100% clear, but Nero dies when he's 30. Uh, so this whole time is a lot like what politically, what like in the United States now, there are two very strong sides that are polar opposite, fighting over political power. And the other thing that happens is the Jews, at this point, decide... This is a great time to rebel, because the Romans are not paying any attention, which is not the truth. The Romans always pay attention. So during this period of time, right through here, the Jews start rebelling. And you know, so they quit paying their taxes, they start attacking the Romans, and so the Romans decide to do what Romans do, which is that we're going to destroy Jerusalem. Well, actually, we're going to destroy Judea and Jerusalem. Uh, the church is seen as Jewish. From the Roman standpoint, since we serve Christians and Jews serve the same God, we're indistinguishable from the Roman standpoint. They're the same people. That's why you see Paul arrested. That's why you see Peter arrested and not freed. Is that they're seen as leaders of the church. So they're brought to Rome for trial. Because they're worried about all this upset in Judea and in, amongst the Jews. And so that's kind of what's going on in the background when you see the book of the prison epistles written, you see the book of Luke and Acts written, is that there's a lot of social upset. The, the emperor's young. Uh, he's not well regarded. Uh, and he is also looking for scapegoats. And as you remember, when we have the fire of Rome, who are the scapegoats? Who burned Rome down, according to Nero? The Christians. And when he says Christians, he also means the Jews. Because in his mind, they're the same people. We worship, we're the only monotheistic religion out there, of the Jews and the Christians. So, they're all, we're all the same. He didn't, he's, not, he's, not, he's, he's 26. Is he into details? No. He's run, he is running the empire. Monotheistic, same God, you're the same religion. So that's where you see a big persecution of the Christians show up after the fire of Rome. He really starts hammering down on the Christians because uh, you've got to have a scapegoat. Somebody burn the city down, it's going to be the Christians. But Claudius also kicked the Christians out of Rome in 48. Again, it's, uh, it's political. Yeah. 
you know, if you're in trouble politically, what do you do? You need an external enemy to get everyone around. And so Claudius kicked the Christians out. Well, he kicked the, the Jews out. And then he let them back in like three years later. Uh, Nero, Claudius's adopted grandson, does the same thing. He goes, when, he, when Rome burns down, we need, a, we need someone to blame. Let's blame the Jews and the Christians. All right, let's talk about who wrote Luke. Uh, the book doesn't say Luke. It doesn't say, I, Luke, wrote this. It's, in fact, Acts doesn't say Luke. But we can infer lots of stuff uh, because when you get into Acts, he starts switching between them and we. And you can do find out who's with Paul at that time, and as well as the fact the early church fathers universally said Luke wrote this. Uh, th- there's not a lot of argument over who wrote it. Uh, so we're going to say Luke wrote it. Luke was a Gentile. He's not Jewish. He's Greek. He writes very good Greek. He's very precise in everything he says. He's a physician. He was possibly a slave. In first century, most doctors are slaves. It's, a very, it's very different than what, the way we view it. The Romans viewed physicians as blue-collar. It's somebody you hired, but a good Roman did not want to be a doctor. That's why the, the, Greek, the Greeks, on the other hand, they loved education a lot. A good Greek became a doctor. The Romans' philosophy was, if I want a doctor, I'll buy one. And uh, during uh, Claudius, uh, Roman Greek doctors were about 6,500 denarii in the slave market. So about 6,500 working days. They were very expensive. But a good family, you bought your own doctor. Or you educated one of your children, not your ch- one of your slave's children, to be a doctor. Work for the family. So doctors are, don't, don't think of doctors the way we think of doctors today. It's, in, in the Greco-Roman world, it's more, it's more of a, uh, an occupation, but it's definitely middle class. Isn't it like chiropractors? Kind of like chiropractors, right? Uh, and so, yeah. And so, yeah, so he's a, he is a doctor. Uh, Randall, stay after class for that. You can have conversations with him. Luke came from uh, either Antioch or Philippi. There are different arguments over where he, sh- he shows up first in the story in Philippi. It's not clear whether he was there and Paul picked him up, or he journeyed to Philippi to meet Paul. Remember when we talked a little about slavery in the empire? There are lots of slaves. Luke, if he's a slave, is a householder domestic slave. So he's on the top of the, the pyramid of slavery. And, and slaves, this level of slave had a lot of autonomy. It was not unusual that you would send them on trips, that you would send them with the, you know, go to this city and deliver this letter. So the fact that Luke's traveling around does not mean he's not a slave. Theme of Luke, uh, 1910. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That, that lays down exactly what Luke's looking at in this book of... Remember, Luke and Acts are meant to be read together. <coughs> They're a continuous book. So when he's trying to show that Jesus came for everybody. Not just that we're not a Jewish, that Christianity is not a Jewish religion. It's not a sect of Judaism. Uh, 
Why the third not gospel? Many, what? Not many Greek types would understand the Son of Man, would they? It, when you read, yeah, that, that's a very Jewish term. And then, but he in the book of Luke describes Son of Man. In Luke, when Luke talks Jewish, he'll he'll explain what that means for, to the Greek audience. Because unlike Matthew, just says stuff that's very Jewish and does not have has zero explanation. Because he's talking to Jews who would understand that. Luke, on the other hand, is when he says Jewish things, comes back and says, here's what, here's what I meant. Uh, why a third gospel? Luke is telling the story of Jesus to Greeks in a Greek frame of reference. This is a very Greek letter, you know, written in Greek, uh, in a very Greek style. Uh, Matthew is very Jewish, and you have to be Jewish to understand it. Uh, it preserves the origin of the church. And here's one that, in researching this, that I hadn't thought about that actually makes a lot of sense. Paul's in jail. It, Luke writes this at the behest of Theophilus to show the Roman world that Christianity is not a subversive political movement. Unlike the Jews in Judea, remember what's going on at the time, the Jews are rebelling, and we're seen as the same religion because we worship the same God. We're not, Christians are not seeking to overthrow Rome. Though they spoke of another king and rejected the emperor as Lord, he is not a god, they submitted to political authority. We pay our, I, we pay our taxes. We don't rebel. Uh, and if you look in, throughout the book and of Luke and Acts, the apostles are often in prison, but they're always exonerated. They're always let go. Uh, and if they're not let go, i.e. James, who we'll talk about in Acts, he's killed for, politi for political reasons, not rebelling against the Roman Empire. All right. Luke, is, is, Luke and Acts are very balanced. You'll see lots of male and female stories in here. When you look at Matthew, it's primarily male. It's because it's Jewish. Luke, there's talking a lot. There's a lot of Jew and Gentile stories in here. Uh, read this. The Romans are always portrayed as fair in Luke and Acts. They're not the bad guys. The bad guys are the Jews. When you look in the book, who crucifies Jesus? The Jews. They force Pilate to do it. But what's Pilate do? He washes his hands. <clears throat> Which in the Romans thing is saying, I have no, I have no bearing on this, on this decision. You guys are forcing me. So the Jews are, when you read this, the Jews are always the troublemakers. Think about what we talked about all the different letters of Paul. Who is always chasing Paul through the, through the uh, Greek? Judaizers. The Judaizers, right? <clears throat> he goes to Thessalonica. He goes to Berea. Who chases him out of town? The Jews. Who takes him in front of the magistrate? The Jews. When Paul gets thrown, Paul and Silas get thrown into prison. They're thrown into prison on the word of the Jews. Who lets them go? The Roman jail. Yeah, there's the earthquake. And then Paul says, we're all here. And then the Roman magistrate looks at them and goes, oh, you're innocent. Let me take you to my house. 
fix all your wounds up and let you go. Just so every time you read this in Acts, that's the undercurrent. What you're reading at is that the Romans are in power, but Luke and Acts portrays them as fair. They're not bad. The Jews are the troublemakers constantly through the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Which also parallels with what is going on politically at the time. The Jews are the guys causing troubles throughout the empire. And they're going to have to, in two or three years after he writes this, the Romans are going to send multiple legions to Judea to conquer the Jews. Uh, just to remind, Mark's written first, then Matthew and Luke, so you can tell Luke has definitely read the other two when he writes this. Uh, but he also has uh, 35% is, of Luke is unique to Luke. He went and talked to a lot of people. He didn't just, with this, you know, he didn't read these two guys and you know, like we did in, you know, in school when you had to do a book report. You know, what, what's those little uh, yellow things? Cliff notes. Cliff notes. <laughs> he did not read the cliff notes of this and write the book. He went and talked to people. All right, let's talk about Luke 1. Uh, many have undertaken to draw up account of things which have been fulfilled in us, meaning that there are, other, there are other things out there, Matthew and Mark for sure. Just as they were handed down to us by those from the first who were eyewitnesses in service of the, of the word. Luke is not an eyewitness. He was not there for all this, so he goes out and talks to people. Uh, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of things that you have been taught. So the question is, who's Theophilus? Uh, we'll throw up a couple here. Uh, that phrase in Greek is a ruler. This is not, that's not a sir. That's a very distinct person. Uh, and just to give you some ideas, uh, the office was a relatively common name. It means God lover. The Greeks loved their gods. There were a lot of the offices around. Uh, also, interesting enough, the uh, Sadducees by this time had taken all Greek names, uh, which is one of the reasons people do not like Sadducees. The Pharisees had Hebrew names. The, the Sadducees had uh, taken Greek names. So Theophilus ben Ananias, son of Ananias, was the high priest in Jerusalem from 37 to 41. So there's a Theophilus. His son, <coughs> Matthias, son of Theophilus, was also the high priest in 65-66. Uh, just to show you that, that there were, so there, there's, there are people that will say, well, he wrote it to the high priest. He did not write it to the high priest. The high priests were not fans of Christianity at this time. Uh, and the reason that Theophilus only ruled for two years was that's right when the Romans showed up. Uh, the another, another theory is Theophilus was the Roman lawyer who defended Paul during his trial in Rome. Remember, what's Paul doing in Rome? He's under trial. And so what Luke is doing is writing a, uh, a thesis for this lawyer so he can understand what has happened. Uh, that, that's a possibility. Uh, and there, 
There are many second century references to a man named Theophilus who was a great lord and leader in the city of Antioch. He was roughly the mayor of Antioch. Not our Antioch. Antioch of Syria. Uh, and at the time of this writing, and so there's a lot of writings from the second century that this guy was the patron of Paul and Luke. And he's the guy who sent Luke to research all this and to write it as both a essentially a gospel, and a defense for Paul. Because the book of Acts ends with chapter 29, Paul's still sitting in prison. He's not had his hearing yet. So you look at the time of Luke and Acts, it's a distinct possibility that that's what Luke was doing at the behest of Theophilus, who may have been the mayor of Antioch. And remember, at this time, the church, the center of the church was Antioch of Syria, not Jerusalem. So the biggest church is in Antioch. Antioch's a very wealthy city, very well could have been where Theophilus is from. And so he's writing this book to Theophilus, but it's meant for wider uh, reading. Probably by Romans. What? Probably by Romans. Yes. By, uh, yes, Romans. Remember, what was Paul doing in Rome? He got arrested. Uh, you'll see the last of Acts, Acts 21, he gets, he's in, he gets arrested. He's in Caesarea for two years. Uh, he goes to Rome. It uh, takes him about eight months because they're in a shipwreck. Because Paul tells them it's too late in the year. Don't get on the boat. And they say, yes, we're going anyways. And then they shipwreck. And then they get rescued. And they spent the winter in Malta. Then they go to Rome. It takes about nine months to get there. That's usually about a three-week trip. Think of nine months. And he's under house arrest in Rome in the 29th chapter of Acts for about two years. So Paul spends, we're talking about five years that Paul's under arrest awaiting trial. And just a little reminder, here's the four journeys. We remember in the book of Romans, Paul writes to Rome, the Romans and says, I'm coming to see you. I want to see you. I've never met you before, but I'm coming to see you. I'm going to go to Spain when I'm done. But I have to go deliver the uh, money to the church in Jerusalem because Jerusalem's having a famine. And so if you look at the, the green arrows, that's Paul going back to Jerusalem from the third journey. He gets to Jerusalem, and the Jews get him arrested. And so he appeals to Caesar, and then he spends five years working his way back to Caesar. Uh, and so when you, when you read, everyone talks about the first, second, third, fourth journey, the fourth journey of missionary journey to Rome is really not a missionary journey. He's, in, he's arrested the whole time. It just takes him five years to get him back to where he wants to be. And so the fourth missionary journey is Paul in jail under house arrest and originally Caesarea then up to Tyre and Sidon, and then up to Rome. So that's the background for the book of Luke and Acts. So why, what? I'm just thinking about how long he was house arrest, etc. I don't know what Roman due process was, but it seems like that's an extended time. But yeah, I mean, they talk about, well, no, they talk about in Acts that in front of Felix, that Felix was looking for a bribe. That Felix hears... The, hears the testimony and says, you're not done anything that deserves being in jail. 
This is a religious argument. Why are you in jail? But it says he's looking for a bride. Uh, it says, you know, you know, with a little of this, maybe we can make these charges go away. For those of you who have ever been in the third world, that's a, a normal police, you know, things go away very rapidly. Or, or Chicago. Yeah, the other thing about about his the other thing about his incarceration is like Caesarea Maritima, which is on the Mediterranean Sea. It's, it's one of Herod's palaces. Mm -hmm. They think they've identified the prison where Paul would have been kept, and he's looking out of his window at the Mediterranean. <laughs> so he's not. I, I don't think he's like full. No, he, he, he's under house arrest, right, which right. is, all right, you, you can't go anywhere. Uh, there are guards with you, but you're not, you're, you, your friends, friends can come and see you. They bring food. You can go kind of where you want in this small area. You just can't, you can't go away until we hear your trial. What's the, what's the Bishop of Smyrna, um, the guy that died in the arena? Uh, yeah, I know. Hang on. Okay. Polycarp. Polycarp, yeah. So Polycarp, when they, when they, Got Polycarp. They took it. Took him three years to get him to Rome. Yeah, and he would go into a city, and they would have throw parades for him, and it it, it was a celebratory. Right. When, when Paul shows, goes goes to Rome, we'll see in Acts the people come out and greet him, and they escort him into Rome. All all the all the follow all the Christians who are there. So it's not like don't think he's in the paddy wagon with his handcuffs on. Right. Uh, he's he's arrested, but he is. He's a Roman citizen, so he has due process, and uh, it just takes him five years to get him there. All right, structure Luke. Uh, Luke simplifies Jesus' story. <clears throat> Jesus moves around a lot more in Matthew and Mark than he does in Luke. Luke, you have the birth story. You have the stories of stuff around Gal Galilee, up north. Then he moves down to Judea. Then the whole 19-24 is one week in Jerusalem leading to his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. And then you hit Acts, which is, and now here's what the church does. So he, so he simplifies the story some in that he's, he's telling the story that the Romans want to hear. Of here's, what, here's where Jesus came from. Here's what he did. Here's what happens when people believe in Jesus. That's the book of Acts. And just to remind you, in the book, there are lots of Herods. Herod the Great's at Luke 1 and 2, uh, and then uh, Herod Antipas, and then when you get into Acts, you get Herod Agrippa and Herod Agrippa II. Uh, and just, we're talking about, we talked a little bit about Herodias on one of the other stories. Herodias is Herod Agrippa's sister, who is married to Philip, her uncle, who then leaves him for Herod Antipas, her other uncle. And just to show that's not unusual, Herod Agrippa marries his sister. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and just to show what politics is politics, your other sister is married to Felix, the Roman governor. So politics, you know, you marry, you know, you marry to make sure you get good. You, you send the sisters off to make sure you're connected. So the Roman governor is married to the sister of the other Roman governor. So there's a lot there's a lot going on behind the scenes here of who's married to who. All right. Uh, John, uh, Luke is 
talks a lot about John the Baptist. If you look at birth stories, they're only in Matthew and Luke. Mark and John don't talk about the birth at all. Uh, and Matthew actually doesn't talk about the birth. It talks about what happens after the birth. Uh, we talk a lot about John the Baptist, uh, which is where I, we get most of the story of John the Baptist from the book of Luke. And he has details about uh, Mary's song and Zechariah and Elizabeth's song that don't appear in the other books. So you know at some point he's talking to people that knew these people, that they wrote this stuff down. Uh, story of John, basically, he's, you know, Zechariah's old, uh, has no children, and he meets Gabriel, uh, tells him you're going to have a son, you're gonna name him, and he's going to be the precursor to the Messiah. Uh, Mary then goes to visit Elizabeth, and uh, Mary and Elizabeth are cousins of some sort. Uh, for those of you who have been in the third world, uh, that, they're relatives. Jane and I are uncle and auntie to uh, some uh, Burundi who live in uh, Connecticut now. They call us aunt and uncle. We're not related. But when they call, they call, is Andy Jane there? Uh, this, they are related somehow. Uh, not sure... I mean, could be cousins, could be second or third cousins. Somehow, Mary and uh, Elizabeth are related. So John and John the Baptist and Jesus are also related in some way. It could be as second cousins. I don't know. It's like trying to pick second cousins. It really gets confused when cousins are a second cousin or second cousins once removed. But they're related somehow. They're in the same family. I just remind you that uh, Mary going down to Elizabeth's house is not going next door. It's about 100 miles walking, because Mary's poor. She's from Nazareth. Uh, this is three-dimensional. There's this hill country here, which is Samaria. Mary's from up here. Uh, this is the hill country of Judea. So she would have walked down here and walked up to see her. And remember, she's pregnant at this time, but newly pregnant at this time. Not married yet, but pregnant. All right, let's talk about the birth story. Since uh, those who went to first service heard some of the birth story from Josh, uh, does this sound pretty familiar to most people? She rode in the donkey on a dark night. She was in labor at the time. She was turned away from all the homes. Uh, she went to a cave. She birthed by herself. The shepherds showed up that night. The magi showed up the next day. And that's kind of the story that most of us heard. Uh, here's actually what the Bible says. Uh, in these days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken. This is the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Those are the two times he was governor. Because you'll hear people say, oh, the Bible's wrong because he was, he was governor in 10 AD, so Jesus is wrong. He was governor twice. First time, 9 to 6 BC. We, we, most people agree that Jesus was probably born sometime around 6 BC. Because the bishop of Usher, I think. He did the count. Can't count. And he got off a few years. Uh, and also, these people didn't have a number zero. So you go from, there is no year zero. You went from negative one to one. One BC to one AD. But the dating is a very the great death. Right. <coughs> Which is, Harry the Great dies in four. Uh, 
So Joseph went up to Nazareth, the town of Galilee. So he lives up north. He's going to Judea, where he's from. He's from Bethlehem, the town of David. <coughs> Joseph is a descendant of David. So he is fairly, we fairly well know, semi-royalty, because he's a descendant of David. Uh, and while they're there, time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there's no guest room available for them. That's everything the Bible tells you about the birth story. Right there. There's no storms, there's no donkey, there's no, uh, even though Josh said from the, from the pulpit this morning, there's no caves. Uh, that's everything the Bible tells you right there. Uh, the other story comes from this book called The Proto-Evangelism of James, written in 200 AD, the beginning of the veneration of Mary. Uh, and it it just, it's, it's, he's the Tom Clancy of his day. It was translated into Latin, Syriac, Armenian, Aramaic, Ethiopian, Coptic, and Slavic. Everybody knew this book. It talked about Mary riding, coming in. It talked about riding in, in a storm. It talked about her birthing by herself. It talked about uh, the angels coming. It talked about her birthing in a cave. That's where the word, where the concept of cave comes from is this, 200 years later. Uh, it, it coincided with uh, the veneration of Mary, so it became very, very popular. But all we know is this first part, is that they came down, uh, it was time for every baby, she had a baby. Uh, the question is, why did they move? Taxes. Rome was just like us, taxes. Every 12, 14 years they had a census. Because you had to pay a head tax. All the, the, the tetriarchs are the guys who run the area. They owed Rome for everyone who lived in their area. And so every 12 years, 14 years, you had a head, you had a census. So they knew how much tax they had to pay. And so that's what we're doing here. You go to your hometown, they count you, and then that way, uh, in this case, uh, Herod the Great would know how many denarii he owed to Rome every year for head tax. And that they did this periodically. Again, here's that, that same map. You're talking 100 miles walking pregnant. Mary was not riding a donkey. How do we know that? Because Mary was poor. Donkeys were the Lexus of the first century. They, you, Joseph, was a, he was a carpenter. He was a construction worker. He was not driving a Lexus. Rich people had donkeys. Poor people walked. So Mary and Joseph walked 100 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Uh, again, this whole thing again, manger and guest room. Uh, quickly, the word that Luke is very precise in his, in his verbiage. The word he uses here is kalalima, which means an inn, a house, or a guest room. It's the same word that he uses in Luke 22 when he tells the apostles to go find the room prepared for me for the Last Supper. It means room. Uh, this means inn. Luke knows this word because he uses it in Luke 10 when the Good Samaritan takes the guy to the inn he takes him to this place. Bethlehem's too small for one of these. This is a hotel. 
when he says uh, extra room, this is what first century uh, houses looked like. You would have the living room, you'd have the stable down here where you keep your animals, uh, and then when you got enough money, you'd build a guest room on. And so mom and dad lived in the guest room when there were no guests. When guests came in, mom and dad would move in here to the family room, and you put guests in the guest room. So what Luke says is when they got there, all the guest rooms were occupied. So Mary would culturally, Mary is married, well, they think she's married to Joseph. Uh, he is from this area. He's related to probably half the town. Uh, she would have, it would have been culturally inconceivable for them to send a pregnant woman out by herself. Someone would have been with her when she birthed. Probably birthed in the house and sent you a manger, or at least where they feed them right here. So that's probably where she, Jesus was. This, uh, Kenneth Bailey, who's a researcher, has written multiple books on this. I'm saying that's probably where Jesus was. He probably was, you, you assume Paul, or Joseph and at least Mary's mother knew how long pregnancy took, and so they wouldn't, wouldn't, would not send her on her way when she's like nine months pregnant. Uh, and then afterwards, in the book, the shepherds show up. The Magi don't show up in Luke. Matthew talks about the Magi. The shepherds show up. Uh, and they come and see her. The angels come and announce to him, the shepherds come in and they find Mary and Jesus. Why shepherds? Lowest social group. So Luke is showing that Jesus comes to everyone, not just the rich and powerful, but everybody. Uh, they're uneducated, and as much as the Jews like shepherds, by this point in time, it's an unclean trade for rabbis. Rabbis can't do this. And, th and this is the next part of the story. Uh, we, t we said Luke, when, th when they do Jewish things, Luke tells the audience about this. Mary took him to Jerusalem and presented to the Lord. Parentheses, as is written in the law of the word. The word, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. So he's telling the Greeks, this is, Jew this is just Jewish law. And then they give two doves and young pigeons, which is the sacrifice of poor people. So that's how we know Mary's probably not riding a Lexus donkey. Uh, she's walking. Uh, and then she meets Simeon. And then she meets Anna. Again, male, female. Luke is carefully crafting his story. Just He's, he's not making these up. He is pulling out the points that become universal. That there's a, a man and there's a woman. Both of which say Jesus is the Christ. So for this part of the, the birth story, you know, this is kind of the message that Luke starts out with heavy. He starts at the social bottom, not the top. He's in Bethlehem, which is poor. He is born in a house that's not his. The shepherds come and see him, all of which says, I'm poor. I'm at the social bottom. Jesus comes to save all, and the poor are worthy of salvation. That is a huge thing for Christianity. Because other religions... Rich is good, poor is bad. And, and, and Luke starts off with, the poor are worthy of salvation, which is the message that causes Christianity to explode through the Greco-Roman world.
All right, next chapter is Jesus gets to work. Uh, and once again, Luke is very accurate. In the 15th year of Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was a governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, Philip tetrarch of, and then Lysanias. So he precisely says, here's when John the Baptist starts. John gets the word, John starts preaching. Uh, and basically preparing Jesus. This is the area that we're talking about. Uh, John is preaching in this area around here. Here's the Jordan River. He's baptizing people in the Jordan River. This is kind of the, when they, when they say wilderness, they mean on the other side of the Jordan into this area. This is also where the Essenes, who were a part of the Jews where they primarily lived, was on the other side in the, in the quote, wilderness. It's the land of the Moabites. Going all the way back, old, old school to, uh, that's what's that, uh, Exodus. Yeah. Uh, so, and this is who, who controlled who at the time of Jesus. Uh, there's a repeat again of who all the, the guys are. Then John gets in trouble. John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife. Doesn't mention that, it's also his niece. It's his brother's wife. Uh, and other evil things he had done. Herod added to all this, added to this, he added this to them all, he locked John up. And then he executes John in a little bit. Then we have this, Luke comes out of order. John's in jail. The very next thing is John baptizing Jesus. But again, it's just, Luke's telling the story. He's not, he's not necessarily doing it in chronological order. Uh, and then Jesus is baptized, and then we have another genealogy. <coughs> That's the et cetera, et cetera, et cetera part. Uh, it's really long. It goes, unlike Matthew who goes to Abraham, Luke goes back to Adam. So Jesus, he's universal. It's all the way back to the first man. So you see, he's setting up the story that Jesus comes to everybody. He's for everyone. He's not a Jewish Messiah. He is a universal Messiah for everybody. All right, chapter 4 through 9, Jesus in Galilee, he's doing his thing. He teaches, there's lots of diseases, he raises people from the dead, he performs miracles. Uh, chapter 7 I really like, it's kind of a nice, concise view. Uh, beginning of chapter 7, the centurion comes to him and has a slave, and Jesus, this is where the centurion, once again, he's Roman, Roman in good light. Roman believes Jesus and says, you don't have to come to my house. You just say the word and my slave will be healed. And Jesus says, I've not found faith like this in all of Judea. No one's had faith like this other than this Roman centurion, and he heals the slave. He then is walking down the street. They see the widow of Nain. Her son is being taken out. Everyone likes her. He raises the guy from the dead. This is Luke giving you stories about the power of Jesus over disease. In the first century, a lot of guys, you had to touch people to heal them. So Jesus and the centurion doesn't have to touch them. He just says, be healed, and you're healed. That shows the power of Jesus over a lot of the Greek gods who have to touch people. 
Raising people from the dead. Jesus is doing that. And then John's uh, disciples come to him and say, are you the Messiah? And he says, what's the Old Testament say? Here's what I'm doing. What's the Old Testament say? I'm doing what the Messiah is supposed to do. And then at the end of this chapter, the Pharisees have him in for dinner, and he forgives sin. Again, a God thing to do. And then in chapter 9, we're moving on. He's getting ready to move south. Uh, the transfiguration, Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. He heals some more. Uh, and then my favorite part, literally, they, they are at the transfiguration. Jesus is the Messiah. They're going south, and the disciples are arguing about who's the greatest, which they do multiple times. Uh, and then he brings the child to them, and they go, okay, okay, we get this. They go a little farther. Master, we found this guy driving out demons in your name when we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. It's about power. And Jesus goes, don't stop him. If he's not, if he's not uh, against you, it's for you. If he's driving out my name, let him go. Because if he's driving out my name and it's working, he's driving demons out. He's a disciple. And then my favorite, James and John. John, the, the apostle of love, they're crossing through Samaria. This village won't take them. What's John want? Lord, can we call fire down and destroy this village? This shows you how much power the gospel has because John becomes the gospel of love. He's all about peace and love. But at this point, he wants to literally nuke this village because they won't give them food. He's not quite getting the Jesus story yet. All right, 10 through 19, more teachings. The rise of the opposition, read Luke, it's the Jews, it's not the Romans. The Romans are not against Jesus, the Jews are against Jesus. Then chapter, we get to the end, and the triumph entry, this, all this is one week. Four chapters, one week. Uh, the Last Supper is the entire chapter 22. Uh, then he gets crucified. Again, the Romans wash their hands saying, we don't want to do this. We think he's innocent. But the Jews make, make us crucify him. The resurrection, at the very end, he ascends into heaven. That's, and that's literally the end of the book. He ascends into heaven. Immediately after that, you start in the book of Acts, which we will do in... I don't know, eight weeks, give or take a little bit. For cliffhanger, Paul's still in jail. All right. And that's the end of, that's the end of this. Next week is Andy doing the Magi. Yes? Uh, cleansing the temple, that's turning over the tables? Yep. Okay. Is there any other part of that, just that just that act? or? Well, he, yeah, he is, it's part of his theologically... Uh, I'm the Messiah. This is not what's supposed to be going on in the temple. Uh, I mean, there are a multitude of lessons in, in that area, but that's, he comes in, this is, the, he's a triumphant entry, he comes in on, I think it's a Monday, and then, you know, the next day he goes to the temple and says, let's clean all this stuff out. You're not supposed to be taking advantage of people. It's not that they're, that they're not supposed to be selling animals to people, it's they're taking advantage of people. You know, it's like you can't 
You can't donate money in Roman denarii. You have to exchange your money, temple money. And we're going to take advantage of that exchange rate so that as a temple money seller, I make a lot of money. Uh, you know, that's, that's what's going on. And then people, if you bring your own lamb, they'd say, oh, it's, it's, not, it's, the right it's, it's not the right lamb. You need to buy one of our lambs. Oh, and it's, it's only, you know, five times as much as it would cost you in your village. So they were taking advantage of people. It wasn't that they were uh, selling stuff. It was the fact that they were taking advantage, especially of the poor. The poorer you were, the more likely you are that you're going to have to, oh, no, spe special deal for you. And the way, the way you put it, I don't know if it hits me differently, that it makes me think that's part of prophecy, um, that, the, that the temple had to be clean in order for the sacrifice to be proper. You know what I mean? It, it, just something about the way that, the way that hit me. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the fact that he says, yeah, it's the house of the Lord mm -hmm. is for worship. And worship is, in the book, you know, Lucas said, worship is classless. It's not that you're rich, you worship better than if you're poor. He is saying all along, everybody's equal. Jews, Gentiles, Romans, you're all the same. Romans thought they were above everyone else, and you had the, the Gentiles and you had the Jews. The Jews had it the other way around. Uh, and he says, no, no, you're all the same. So that so that's the story of the book of Luke. So it's him telling the story of Jesus, and now the book of Acts is because of Jesus. Here is how what people do. So we'll get to that, like I said, in I don't know, some amount of weeks. As soon as JB tells me when we start class again, probably February. By the by the way, Andy Reese, what, what is, is that called? The gift of the Magi? Is, is that 